We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Brad, they said that uh, when the weekend came, that the Yin Snowball podcast wouldn't quite be able to roll out the same type of content because the Steelers played on a Thursday. We would be tired. Um, our minutes would be up on the on the on the week. And instead, we said, no, we're gonna actually go above and beyond. We're we're recording at 7 a.m. Eastern uh and getting this podcast out for the people on a Saturday morning. So never doubt and never question the commitment or the heart of the Yin Snowball podcast. That should be like our little tagline, don't you think? I've never felt more like living up to the Insno ball name and feeling like a true tape watcher because <laughs> I was up watching the offense for the second time at 530 in the morning. Just kind of want to go over it again. And I was like, that's like it was dark out still. I was there. I was like, I feel like I've really made it now that now that I'm watching film at 530 on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and of the Steelers offense, too, like that's the true like grind at Steel City mentality right there there's no doubt about that um there are some good things though in this offensive performance obviously one of the biggest wins of the season against the titans uh to be able to come out of that victorious um i know the titans are down and this is a game the steelers should have won but that wouldn't stop them in the past and so winning a game like this i thought was a, a big deal i thought it mattered um i think that they played better in the second half on both sides of the ball i don't think they were very good in the first half on either side of the ball and then the second half, they came out really cleaned things up, which has kind of been the MO this season a little bit. Um, Pickett, we'll talk about probably in depth today, I think. But just generally speaking, your thoughts on this game, I, I I felt like it was one Pittsburgh had to have, had to get this win, and they found a way to do that. Yes, it's never going to be pretty. To be better things about their process offensively, at least in this game, I thought, compared against before it. Yeah, no, I think this is one where if you lose it, it you say, ah, oh, you know, tough game, whatever. But you look back, if you miss the wild card, and it's like, this is a game that, like, this is why we're not in the playoffs type of game. So definitely was a bit was a big game. And, yeah, I mean, I do think the execution was better in the second half on both sides of the ball. Um, obviously, Kenny was better. But but honestly, I think there was still a lot of good. I guess I'm become, the last two weeks, I'm a Matt Canada guy, uh, apparently, which who, who would have thunk? But, yeah, I mean, he missed a bunch of, you know, wide open throws. And I thought there were some route concepts in the second half that actually kind of was like there's guys running in the same place. And basically it's like making it easy for the coverage defenders at times. In the third quarter in particular, obviously Cardiac Kenny came to life as he always does. But, but no, I, there was plenty of good there. Once Kenny kind of settled in, and yeah, I do think this is going to be a Kenny podcast. It's mo- most of my notes are about him. 
Yeah, I agree with you on Canada. Not not says becoming a fan. I know you're being tongue in cheek about that, but <clears throat> there have just been better things about the process offensively the last couple of weeks. Um, you're seeing you know motions in the stack releases that are getting guys kind of clean looks, uh, more man beaters, guys moving horizontally. He's like discovered that players can move horizontally post snap. Yes. It's crazy that that has <laughs> taken as long as it has, um, and he probably still doesn't do it enough. But the offense has lost some of its staticness, which was one of the big things holding it back. Execution's still been a big concern. It was obviously a huge concern against Jacksonville. We talked about that at length. And even in this game, first half, it was a big concern. So you're starting to see for the first time, I think, we. I think right before the Jacksonville game, I mentioned this, and it, that it was had been difficult to evaluate Kenny Pickett completely outside of the construct of the Steelers' offense, which was just so static and so rarely had people open that when I watched tape, I was like, oh, what's on Kenny? What is it? And you could see some plays were – but you didn't know how that would change maybe if there was a better system. And we are actually starting to see that. Like we're seeing concepts that are getting players open now on a consistent basis that are finding ways to attack defenses horizontally. We've seen over routes. We've seen crossers. We've seen slants, like all of these things that we didn't see before. So you're getting that horizontal stretch on a defense. You're making it very hard for defense, harder for defenses to play man coverage than they did in the past, which all of which are good things. And you're also seeing Kenny just miss a lot of those throws and make a lot of mistakes in those throws. The first half was bad. I'm going to counter that the second half outside of the throw to Deontay Johnson was not that much better. And maybe you've got notes or otherwise to the contrary, but I am, I'm a little perplexed and we had talked about this. We texted about this and we promised some listeners that we'd talk about it. The PFF grade on Kenny came out to 77. Is that? Yeah, I think so. 77. Yep. And so I, I was perplexed by that a little bit because I thought it was, I mean, comparably bad with some of his other games. Now, you're kinder to quarterback. I, I feel like quarterbacks tend to grade a little bit higher because you guys correctly note that a lot of the things that get blamed on quarterbacks are not actually on quarterbacks. And so that context is important, I think. I was a little bit surprised to see Kenny Pickett graded that highly because I thought he missed quite a few throws and even in the second half like although some of his bad misses were early in the game even in the second half i think of the smoke screen to pickens was kind of high and away from his body he had to kind of step back and reach up for it and didn't allow him to get it in fact he think he got tackled for a loss of a yard um there was an out to deontay johnson that was way high and away and he couldn't get it um just again wild i mean the throw to deontay johnson down the sideline was awesome but I just felt like outside of that throw, like this was one of his worst games. I could not agree more. I think that was really the only impressive throw maybe he had the entire game. Um, you know, was the yeah, down the right sideline to Deontay. It was a nice route too. He kind of hesitated at the top of the stem and and the, the DB gave him just enough room, but it was a you know a perfect throw. Yeah. So without getting fully into the weeds of it, I would just say misses aren't as big of downgrades as putting the ball in harm's way. And, you know, there, there were some conversations uh, looking into, hey, if, if a quarterback misses a six-yard depth crossing route to a George Pickens that would have had a 40-yard gain and he th- overthrows him by five yards over his head yeah. from a – he did step up, but from a clean pocket once he did take one hitch forward, maybe that should be downgraded more because, you know, I get why – yeah, it's not a turnover-worthy play, which is obviously the worst thing you can do as a quarterback – you know, per our grading system, mm-hmm. um, you know, but but it's still a horrendous, you know, rep for a player. So that's kind of where that comes from is that, you know, that there's that the Deontay ball was a negative uh, on, on the left side. 
what he ran like a like a corner from from the slot that it, that he just he, he was about to jump for and just didn't even jump because he was like there's no way I'm catching this ball. Obviously the deep ball to Calvin Austin of the four misses I charted in the first half like egregious misses that was the only one where there was a little bit of pressure but I still think Kenny should have been able to make that throw. Jeffrey Simmons was bearing down on him but it, it wasn't it, it didn't it's not enough of an excuse. Uh, the Deontay ball was the cleanest pocket he may have had the entire night. <laughs> um and he just it, to me it's it's his footwork um and I think the reason I want to start there is because you see, when people talk about strong arms and arm talent as they, you know, evaluate quarterbacks, and the biggest misnomer, I think, for me is people assume that means, okay, he can throw downfield bombs 60 yards. He can be Josh Allen and sling it, you know, 70 yards down the field. Sure, that's a component of it, I suppose. I think it's maybe the least important component when I'm thinking of that. It is, first and foremost, can you generate velocity and fit balls into tight windows and get off throws, even if it's a 10-yard you know, slant or even a curl, whatever, that, can you just be able to execute a throw that other guys cannot because there's more zip on the ball? But also, as it relates to Will Levis, can you get away with bad footwork? And Will Levis got away with bad footwork 10 times in this game and still delivered very nice throws because he has a very live arm. And, and can, you know, like I saw people making Jay Cutler comparisons, and I kind of agree with mm. it as I was watching the game, obviously – you know, I know Cuddy all too well, like I do. He was throwing off his back foot. He was throwing from weird, like his shoulders weren't square, but he was still throwing nice balls. When Kenny's footwork is off, as it was a bunch, including the biggest one for me was the Allen Robinson. I mean, it should have been a touchdown. It obviously was a turf missile three yards in front of him. He takes a weird hitch where he like, he doesn't even really transfer weight. It's just like mm-hmm. an up and down hitch that he doesn't need to do. Again, there wasn't pressure on this miss either. And then he like doesn't get forward momentum into the throw. So yeah, the, the Deontay throw also the one on the left side was just like, he can't, if he doesn't execute everything cleanly and have good footwork, he's going to miss throws. He cannot get away with that. And that is why his lack of arm talent and arm strength matters. Anyway, long rant over. But yeah. for me, it's it's the the footwork is evidently just 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 not good enough right now. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Uh, and also, he seems to try to throw the ball extra hard when he's throwing it into a tight window, like whether it's that hitch and really trying to like load up. And then when he rips it, sometimes I think he lets it go late, like the turf missile that you're talking about. Like he lets it go late in the trajectory. Like he ends up like is basically when he's throwing his hand is like pointing toward the target, but the ball's coming out of his hand late uh, in that process. And so the ball has less trajectory on it and it's hitting the ground sooner. And we saw that early in the season, a couple of times when he tried to really rip the ball, the small hands we come back to, like I said, this pre-draft people, you know, we didn't, this podcast didn't exist, but seeing Kenny Pickett in hands in, in person and seeing how small his hands were was actually a little startling to me. I'm not somebody who gets super caught up in that, but it was like, wow, like I did not expect this. Um, and wondering how that grip on the ball too, when you have to really throw it harder, uh, the grip on the ball, I think eludes him as well. Sometimes where he grips extra tight and it affects the um, velocity as well. So yeah, definitely Arm strength wise, you could tell the difference between him and and Will Levis. The elasticity with which Levis throws with, like he doesn't even need a full complete motion. His motion so fast, right. the angle can change. Like he can just do a lot more things and still get like just normal torque on the ball, like or great torque on the ball. And Kenny can't really do that. He's kind of got to have his whole throwing process out there in front of him. So 
a notable limitation, I think, um, to Pickett's game is that he just needs a lot of that stuff to be pretty clean. Now he does have like when he, I do think he can throw on the move a little bit. We haven't seen it a ton this season. I do think he has that ability a little bit. So he's not without any of those traits, but I don't think like the same um, explosiveness in his arm is there that you see from other top quarterbacks, which matters for sure. The other part of the picket thing, if there's a plus with him, it's that his decision-making with the ball has been pretty good. Like he's not necessarily throwing the ball in harm's way all the time. Um, he kind of takes what's there when it's there. Like they, his ADOT in this game was like five yards, I think, something like that. And Levis's was like double that. Um, different offenses. I mean, he, you know, the the flaw in Canada's offense still being that he rarely attacks the middle of the field or finds ways to attack the middle of the field, coupled with the fact that that just is clearly where Kenny's more more comfortable is is attacking outside the numbers. So you know, you try and find a way to like happily marry those two two things there in your analysis and figure out who's on who's on what's on who uh, in terms of the blame game. But I do think that needs to be a part of what they do in the middle of the field. Although, yeah, it's it's probably the bigger danger area in terms of turnovers a lot of the time. Uh, you have to be able to play there. You can't avoid that. His passing chart in this game looked was pretty laughable. And so you have to be able to attack between the numbers, I think, if you want to have more success in the NFL. Some of that will come with a more horizontal approach over time. But it's just not something that's happening in this offense right now. So I still have my questions about Canada, but obviously like I know Canada is not the guy long-term for this team. I'm, I'm sure that this will be it this year. Um, but I also really, really am starting to question actually not question. I think I'm, I'm doubting severely that like Kenny's the guy long-term for this team, because even if like, he's already kind of good at some of the things that like you would be concerned about with a rookie at this point, like decision-making and things like that. What what doesn't work for me is just like major accuracy issues, like accuracy issues like this that have come back up after being there early in the season. And then also we've talked about the pocket stuff, which was actually better in this game. Like it wasn't like he sacked himself a bunch. He actually this might have been his fastest time to throw of any game this year. I'll check that. But I do think like there's some improvement there. But overall, like he just like there's just too many bad throws. There's too many misses. There's too many guys he's unable to hit and things he's unable to do to like tether yourself to a guy that's limited um, for the duration of a rookie contract or something or longer. And that's the thing that goes back to is if you are going to be a guy that isn't the, you know, has the best arm talent, then you need to be super accurate and on point and, uh, you know, be able to mix up, uh, you know, trajectories of throws to where you can, like you talk about the, the, the rockets, there were a couple throws where he, yeah, steps into it, takes a big, you know, first stride and throws, like a heater. And I was like, I think if you kind of, you know, took a little bit off and, and maybe feather this in a little bit more, it probably would have made more sense and led to some yak. And then, I mean, the Pickens miss was just like hard to, I mean, and get my head around, but, and you also mentioned the, the quick screen. I texted you during the game, this, where I was like, I don't think Kenny can throw from opposite hash to outside the numbers on a screen. Like that shouldn't even be in your playbook because by the time the ball gets there, there's probably going to be multiple defenders just crashing on him. So, Obviously, you're being critical. You know, it, it, it wasn't all bad, but you mentioned the seeing him in person. I don't know if you're referring to what I remember. I went to the Senior Bowl that year, and there was a day where it rained, and, like, he couldn't throw a pass. Like, I I, I probably was too – I mean, obviously, I was way wrong because every, every quarterback went in the third besides him, but I got on, like, radio hits that week and was like, look, I don't think anyone in this class is particularly good, but, like, the one thing my main takeaway from Mobile was like, I don't think this Kenny kid can play in the rain. And obviously they just played Jacksonville in bad conditions, but it was like, 
he couldn't get he couldn't grip the ball like he it, like and everything was like high low like I, so yeah there's just i i am starting to question it as well you know um like you said there was I, I do agree with you that he didn't sack himself i think i was starting to wonder during the game is he protecting the ribs a little bit because at the first sign of pressure i think he kind of just got rid of it um which is not a bad thing by any means but i i did wonder like is he just making sure he doesn't take any hits? And he did take a couple still. But, but yeah, I mean, at a certain point when you have the juxtaposition of those two guys, and Levis wasn't perfect either, um, but it's just like you see, like, the building blocks of what could be a legit franchise quarterback on one side of the field in that game, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't the Pittsburgh side of the field. Yeah. Well, I think, too, that with, with Levis, the things that you're concerning with him, like – the time to throw, is he playing with instructions? Is he playing on time all the time? You know, is he processing quickly enough? Is he moving through progressions? Um, is he making good decisions with the football? All those things are like these are all the fixable things. Like you're expecting a rookie to struggle with these things, you're expecting a young player to struggle with these things. Like he's not taking anything off the table, though. If you talk about physically, athletically, like with his giftedness, you're not taking anything off the table. You've all like hypothetically, he could not grow in any of those things. In three or four years from now, you've tried to do that. And you've realized like it doesn't work. And if those were Kenny's flaws, I would be like, let's just see. Let's run the course of this thing out and let's see where it goes. And then we'll kind of make a mind from there. Um, but he deserves more time, more of a runway. With Kenny, I feel like his issues are like much more basic to the point that like, I don't think these things get better at the NFL level. These aren't things that typically improve at the NFL level, like to have pinpoint accuracy, to be able to lead guys into yak consistently, um, to consistently um, make throws on time and, 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 and it within structure, like all those things. I don't know how much better all that gets at times, like with him, like to me, it's just like, I, we talked about the, the arm strength and, and the ability to test certain windows. And I mean, he's got eight big time throws this season. I think it's possible that he could have a, a little bit that that could jump some if they go down the field more in this offense uh, eventually. But so the, it's not like he couldn't be a capable starter yeah. like in the NFL. Like I don't know that I'd rule that out. But you know, you're talking about trying to compete for Super Bowls. You're talking about guys with high end tools and talents and abilities. And yeah, if you're in a position to draft one of those guys, I think you have to prioritize it now. The Steelers keep winning, and their schedule is very weak. So. They may continue to win, <laughs> but um, I, I, yeah, I just really, st- I do start to question some of that long-term. We can kind of jump more back into that probably as the season goes on or toward the end of the season. Um, overall though, there's no doubt about one thing, whether you think it's a process that can be relied on or not in the fourth quarter, he does continue to step up in big moments. I never will check question his competitiveness. I will never question his toughness. I will never question his ability to stand in in big moments and, and, um, and, feel the weight of that in a good way. Like he feels the weight of that in, in, in a way that is like people will call it a clutch gene, whatever, call you know, apply whatever, you know, humorous uh, euphemism you'd like to it. But I think more than anything, like he, he clearly shows it consistently on the field. So you no, know, that is an attractive trait. It's just that you're never going to be in position against good teams. If you play poorly for three quarters and he wasn't even great in the fourth outside of that one throw. So, you know, it, it is. It remains the the biggest conundrum in his evaluation is how he can crank it up and make that one big throw late in games. But I also think that there's probably a lifespan on that that's shorter than people want to believe. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at yeah, there was a throw on the penultimate drive, which was a, like a three and out, kind of a disaster, I think. Maybe they got one first down on a run. But there was a throw on the penultimate drive that was just a miss as well. Um, and yeah, of the eight big-time throws, I'm sure like seven or eight of them are in the fourth quarter, which is just not a sustainable way to win games. Like obviously in both directions, you are going to get some big throws like that. And also, you know, just back to the grades quickly, like the reason Levis's grade ended up coming 20 points lower, it was ahead of Kenny the entire game. He then had three turnover-worthy plays on the final drive, which was – and again, I think those are indisputable. Like, it hit the DB in the hands all three times. But the sure. I, I was having a conversation – not that people care that much about PFF grading, but I was like, we, we're, we're going to look into the idea of, like, context adjusting. Like, a turnover-worthy play when you're down four with a minute to go, like, is different than if – you know, like, it's like he has to either score a touchdown or you lose the game. So, anyway, uh, we're, always, yeah. we're always tweaking things. The Levis rule. Yeah, the Levis rule. Yeah. Are you guys going to change grading policies and then name it after like the Levis rule and stuff? Yeah, like the that? Levis like, rule. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just, just so we can, yeah. yeah, just so we can cater it to a Levis. No, of course not. Of course yeah. not. Someone's going to snip snip at that and post it on Twitter, and now you're going to get right, in right, trouble. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Levis's yeah. agent paid Brad Spielberger for this. <laughs> I don't even know who his agent is, but yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's probably good about Kenny. I will say this about Kenny. Uh, uh, mentioned his average depth of the target. I just looked this up while we were talking 5.1 yards, average depth of the target. That's the lowest on the season by a pretty good margin. Week four, he's sick in week two. He was 6.6 yard uh, average depth of target. Um, By the way, average depth of target for people who don't know is uh, average depth of the target beyond what the line of scrimmage was when the ball was thrown. And so that just gives you an idea of how often he's putting the ball down the field Um, against Jacksonville was 10 yards, for example. Um, And, and so for the season, He's at 7.7, which is is not high, um, but not as low as this game, obviously. So he was considerably below his season average. And then the t- this is the problem, the funniest part. His 2.35 seconds to throw in this game, by far, by far his quickest of the season. Before this was 2.68 in week five. That was the that was the fastest time to throw that he had before this. So literally like. 0.3 seconds like that's pretty crazy as a difference yeah. um that he's like basically taking that what like quicker of time to throw so they were clearly like trying to get the ball quick in this game offensive line 
I think played their best game of the year um, in all phases. Protection was very good. I think Kenny Pickett was under pressure. Um, he was under pressure on six dropbacks in this game for PFF. That is, that's pretty freaking good. And it looked like that watching it live. You mentioned the one play. Um, I think Simmons had two of those, but even Simmons, like I, it was hard to say anybody played well on the Tennessee side of the ball, because I just felt like Pittsburgh, like up front, even on the tape, like Simmons was good, but like everybody else got mauled. Like Cal Pecco was destroyed on the inside. Our boy Tier Tart did not fare well on the inside like they this was the most physical and aggressive in the run game the Steelers offensive line has been and Broderick is a big part of that we'll talk about that but then they were also being across the board and pass protection too so just in general like a lot of encouraging things about that front five they've played better since the bye week for sure there are still I would love to see Broderick at left tackle Chooks back at right tackle and, and more out of there I thought he was the weak link in this game still but Ultimately, even he wasn't really exposed in this game. So be- better performance across the board by all the Steelers O-line. I could not agree more. And it's funny, first of the running game, which I do have probably more notes than anything else. Um, so I'm excited to dive into that. But, like, this is a run defense that has been a top-five unit in the NFL the last, like, five years. And, like, it's so, it's so funny that they had, like, a breakout. You know, they averaged, like, six yards a carry against this unit of all units. But, yeah, you also mentioned, I mean, I was tweeting about, you know, Broderick Jones, who I thought was great again. Um, you know, didn't like the matchup with the the Nico Autry just from a a style standpoint of who that rusher is, and it, when he does line up at a five technique over a tackle, it's over the right tackle. I was like, that's I don't love that matchup because he's a big, mauling, physical, two hundred eighty pound dude. I don't even remember hearing his name. I, don't, I couldn't even tell you if Nico Autry played in the game. Like I don't, I don't. And then Arden Key is I don't think is a great matchup for for Dan Moore either. And we had him with one pressure. So yeah, I mean, again, the average time to throw is a massive part of that. And it does protect the line, but um, I, I thought they all played really well. And, and more so in the run game, I think you really saw, like like you said, probably more pulling than any game we've seen the entire season by a wide margin. Um, it was it was it was a great performance. Obviously, Isaac Isaac did a bunch. Uh, James Daniels and Broderick Jones. It's funny, Broderick needs to go back to the left side, but there's a small part of me that's like those two athletes on the same side of the offensive line is pretty fun, at least in the run game. Yeah. Right. It, it's going to be hard for them to move Broderick out of the lineup. Chuke spoke after the game and he said that he was basically benched. It's not like for disciplinary reasons, which I didn't know Mike Tomlin believed in that. So that is a big surprise to me. Like, I don't know what this guy did at the end of the game. I don't remember hearing about anything. I know there was that little, like him and a player were trash talking and Najee like separated them, but it was very minor. Like it didn't even look like it was going to, it didn't, wasn't even penalized. So I, yeah, I don't really I, know. That was strange. I saw that. I saw that it was like because of something I said. Like what? What could you possibly yeah. have said? And he took the L. Like he said, I acted yeah, out the yeah. game. I got to know better as a veteran, like not to do that. So, no further explanation on that. It could be a one week punishment, and he could be back in there. If Broderick's not back in there next week, though, we riot. Like that is that would be nuts. Like he's clearly he's just gifted in ways that these other guys aren't. Um, and he's not perfect for sure. Technically, I definitely wonder about the guy at times. Like, you know, he's getting stuff done uh, despite like he's pulling in one play and he like drops his eyes completely. Like, 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 I don't know, like a running back carrying like at the goal line. And he like the blocker just goes to evade him and he like just senses it and like swivels his whole body and like gets on the blocker enough so that he creates a hole. And it's just like stuff like that. I'm like, he is very unorthodox and like clearly isn't that clean of a player yet, but like. He just finds ways to get things done. Guys with amazing physical tools and athletic tools 
you know, Sewell's kind of this way too in, in Detroit, like yeah. where I watch him sometimes. I'm like, technically, like, I don't even like, he literally like will lunge at people and he gets like, you know, there's some reps that look so ugly, but he finds ways to get guys blocked enough. And then he has the dominant stuff too, physically, athletically, like he just can do special stuff. And that's, that's a lot of what you see with Broderick. Like, it's like, oh, I, I certainly get why you think this guy's pretty raw and like, he's not ready, but like he does find a way to just kind of get stuff done um, in all phases. And his past sets look very good. I would say right now with his feet, like before the point of contact, like he's just clean. He gets out of the stance with good timing. He doesn't have any like hitches in his in his stance or anything like that. The footwork looks like it is developing. You got to give Pat Meyer credit for that um, because it does seem like they've had him on a good, pretty good plan. And so that's allowing him to like play with a lot of range and pass protection. Um, he's just got to be careful with oversetting. I think like he's so explosive. Guys like that want to get out and use their best trait, and sometimes they can get countered inside. Nobody for for. I thought Autry would be that guy. Like I thought that would be a tougher matchup, but the, the time to throw it a lot to do with it probably, but Broderick just really held his own. He played very well on the right side. That's not easy for a guy to do. That's been playing on the left side. Most of his career point. Also everything I said about physically, but also that he does tend to overset. Like it really should have been a bad matchup against the Nico Autry. I did notice a couple of times, um, like a one hand inside hand punch with his left hand. That really was like, he has heavy hands too against like these bigger dudes where I think he was probably, if you'd argue he's oversetting, but the way to kind of combat a potential inside move was he was punching with his left hand um, on the right side there and kind of neutralizing or, you know, just kind of balancing those two things out, I guess you could say, but yeah, no, it's, it's encouraging on a Thursday switching sides. I think he said, he also said he found out, he was starting like Tuesday, I think. He was like, they asked him like, when did they tell you? Oh yeah, they told me Chooks is not starting, and I'm starting like two days before the game at a different side of the offensive line. So we got that context is important as well. I'm assuming he practiced on the right side, you know. It, but I think he said just two so days, probably, yeah. just Tuesday, Wednesday, and like wow. one of those is probably walkthrough. So it's like you probably got one practice all right. Oh, there. that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Joey, yeah, that's yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's impressive. Honestly, it is like he rare, rare, rare gifts, like at the position, no doubt. It's although I was obviously staying on the table for Christian Gonzalez and I had my concerns about Broderick Jones, the, the early returns have been good. And and I feel like they are, I mean, again, when you're that talented, there's just like a lot more margin for error. And so I do give him credit for that. Let's talk about the run game. Cause you said you have a lot of notes in that. I just want to highlight this. They went from never pulling anybody to now just pulling people all the time. Are they over pulling now? Like, I mean, it's really funny, but Canada, like basically, and I give him credit for this, I guess, like, although it was weird that they never noticed it before, but he basically went from not pulling people in the run game like at all. I mean, the first four or five weeks of the season, they didn't pull at all in the run game. And then now it's like, this is a huge part of what they do. Full blocks. They were just, I mean, it was like a, it was a major emphasis on what they do. And you can see the advantages, right? Like it's creating for them, even though not every play hits. And sometimes they're spamming things a little too much. Like there's always going to be the concern with Canada, but overall you just take it compared to just like, we're going to pound you inside like over and over again, like with, with right between the tackles every single time. Now you're just creating space with the angles of your blockers, with pullers, with defenders, taking a step in one direction, not knowing exactly what's coming it's just so much less predictable for the most part. And I think that that creates a lot of advantages for them. I think it'll be interesting to monitor if this was matchup specific or if he does make it more of a focal point. And to your point, like maybe is he now overcorrecting? Because 
like now that you've taught me about crunch or wham bam or whatever people call it, I obviously, you know, like look for it in these games and and other concepts <laughs> they run as I've gotten more familiar with the Steelers run game. I don't think I even I don't think they ran crunch in this game. Maybe one one time I think I wrote down like maybe with a um with a tight end coming in yeah, for, they did. for one of the the down blocks. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, um the pulling was interesting because and also a ton of pre-snap motion in this game too. And I'm wondering if it was a thought process based on scouting the opponent where when they ran motion, the defensive line shifted over a gap like almost every time. And so it was like, mm. I think you were getting looks and identifying what Tennessee was trying to do. And then I wonder if they just thought, look, this is a big like defensive front. So let's use our athleticism and, you know, get to the edge and do different things with pulling guy, as opposed to trying to do, you know, some of the things we've talked about, like it, it makes more sense against them than any other opponent they've played so far this year, arguably. But yeah, I mean, Broderick was pulling on like half of the snaps and then you had the tight end, um, you know, set offset on the end of the line. That player was pulling a ton as well, whether it was Hayward uh, you know, or who or Broderick, uh, uh, many times was pulling as well, and then yeah, Daniels and Samalo. I think those three, Broderick, Daniels, Samalo, was the majority of it. I don't really think I remember Cole uh, and Moore doing it a ton, but it led to many right. of their biggest plays of the game. And I actually wrote down two where I think they could have had more, two more chunk gains. Um, one I blamed on Isaac, one I blamed on Najee. But yeah, like it was it was a great run scheme. I had a lot of fun watching it this morning at five thirty in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. Like, there was just so many times. I mean, they ran one back power for the first touchdown of the game, and they're pulling CMO through. Just watching Broderick work to the second level um, was really impressive. James Daniels played his best game, maybe as a Steeler. Definitely, he was maybe, or he was arguably their best player on offense in this game. Uh, Deontay Johnson and Jalen Warren had great games as well, but Daniels was very, very good in this game. Uh, multiple finishes. Uh, he looked very physical. He looked healthy. Um, thought he got out in space really well. There was very few complaints for me. Mason Cole continues to play better, I'd say. Like, I mean, I, I still feel the same way I do about it uh, long term and getting exposed by certain matchups, but he held his own in this one for sure. Um, I thought that uh, Siamalu was just exactly what you think he's going to be. Like, it, it, there's always going to be three or four reps every game where it looks bad and the rest of it's pretty good. And that's really where he was in this game. Multiple great pulls, second level blocks. Um, Great grip strength, sustain, and drive. Um, Broderick's still got to work on the sustaining part, but he just gets to targets and covers them up. And then even if they get off, they're like making a play in pursuit basically at that point. So you'll take it. It's a great starting point. Um, but overall, yeah, this was their best approach. I mean, the incepts, I think, which was good. They had a good zone run at one point. Um and I forget which back was in there for that play. Um, there was just a lot. It was a, it was a varied approach. Um, I think Washington has, has helped a lot too. Um, I actually wanted to see yeah, 31 snaps for him after 10 last yeah. week. That was a huge mistake that they made last week, not playing him enough. Um, he continues to really help them. I feel like as a run blocker, like he's just capable of doing simple things in the run game. The fryer move can't like if you ask him to hinge on the backside or something like that of a concept, or if you ask him to like hinge front side and you just say like, look, just turn your hips and guy that you basically have an influence block and lead that defensive end up. He's not going to get knocked back into the hole three or four yards like fryer was like, that is just a big difference. Like just a very simple thing, but a big difference. And so he's, it's been an advantage to play him more. And I will be very curious to see 
what I would do is play on a 12 and use fire, start to try and experiment using Fryermuth more like a Travis Kelsey, a Sam Laporta, like one of those players like who can kind of do a little bit of everything, but plays their fair share of snaps like in the slot or out wide, things like that. I would try to basically turn Fryermuth into more of a pseudo receiver uh, because honestly, that's probably what's best for him at this point. How he does with that as a route runner, we'll see. Um that's how I'd try to find a way to make this work with those two tight ends. I don't think you can just take Fryermuth and put him back into playing like 75, 80% of the snaps at tight end for this team or something like that. Like to me, it's got to be a much more like dual approach because your run game has just been so much better without him in. And that's not the only reason, but it is definitely part of the reason. He wrecked a lot of plays with how incompetent he was as a run blocker. Or if he is in the line of scrimmage, you know, in line, be the second tight end next to Darnell and just like chip help and then run a route or, or something like that if you're not always going to have him in the slot. But no, I agree. Uh, you mentioned the Broderick disengaging sometimes still. It does still pop up and it's kind of frustrating. I do wonder if part of it is he just doesn't want to get a holding call. You know, he's a rookie. He sees that across the league and maybe just, hey, I just I don't want to hold on too long. And that ties into there was one play. I mentioned a couple of big gains that could have happened. This one, I'm not blaming on Najee. I think Najee would have broken off a 20 plus yarder. Sumalo pulls to the to the right side, and Broderick is engaged um on a defensive lineman. And Sumalo goes to kind of like bump into the inside shoulder of the lineman. And Broderick has him. He's got both hands on him, but the, the, the lineman's starting to leak a little bit inside towards that gap. And Sumalo, maybe it's because what we're talking about, you know, Broderick disengages too quickly. Sumalo does not need to, it, it, like, it's probably the assignment is kind of, you know, throw a shoulder into this guy and then get up to the second level and engage with Aziz Al-Shair, the linebacker who I thought played pretty well in this game, uh, particularly against the run. They Obviously, it was a good game for Pittsburgh, but he was kind of making all the pursuit tackles. Anyway, Sumalo, like, throws his shoulder into the guy Broderick was engaged with. And like really like takes two steps into it, really like like focuses on doing that and then doesn't he's not able to kind of combo and then get upfield. If he had, if he just kind of threw a quick elbow and then kind of just focused on Aziz Al Shair, I like I said, I think Najee's having a it, it was in the third quarter with eleven fifty-three to go. I think Najee cuts it back to the left side and breaks one off for well, it's Najee, so I don't know, breaks one off for 18 yards. Uh and then there was another one. And this one I thought was entirely on uh, not Najee's fault, but it's the first play of the fourth quarter. So, you know, 15 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Jeffrey Simmons is um, it, it's a run play to the left, like a pull concepts, kind of a lot of things we're talking about and the, the, all the actions flowing to the left. And Jeffrey Simmons is engaged with probably Mason Cole, maybe James Daniels. And he one arm tackles Najee with his outside arm. And, there's a clear hole. I think I know it was Sumalo. I think Najee maybe was worried he was going to step on Sumalo's feet if he if he if he burst a little bit more. I don't think he would have. There was a beautiful big hole to explode through if he had any sort of burst. And it was like he put look, he punched the ground twice very hard. So I think he agrees with me yeah. that he knows he just yeah. blew it on this play. Um, but yeah, like there was the, the long story short of that rant was to say like they ran the ball great, and I identified two plays where I think they could have had 20-yard rushes as opposed to three-yard rushes. Like, mm-hmm. it, it could have been even better. Um, so, yeah. It's so interesting. A couple of weeks ago, I said the run game is the one thing I actually think will improve as the season goes on. Canada has always, like, been a little bit, much better in that area than he has in the past game. And you're seeing that happen clearly. And it's so funny. Like, it's a great microcosm for how little – 
running the ball successfully actually matters in terms of winning yeah. and losing and scoring points because they're just reaching the red zone more often and they're unable to to finish in that area of the field uh, more often than not. So passing is just so clearly just so much more important. The fact that they could be, and it's like, yeah, a couple points more maybe now at this point, but like they're still like, this is one of the worst offenses in the NFL and, and they're running the ball pretty well lately. Um, and so it is, it will be telling. And I feel like, um, how much they can like i think they have to continue to do it um but if the passing game can even be like comparable to what it was down the stretch last season um where does that get this team you know somebody's i said the other day like they would be a better football team if and i listed a couple things like basically playing all the rookies more and somebody was like i don't know if they'd be a better football team like they're already like at that point no i guess they're four and three and I was like, I don't necessarily mean more wins. Like, I just mean like easier to watch and believe in like <laughs> each week, like actually better when you put the tape on, like the results. Sure. Like I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But would they be better to watch if Broderick Jones was playing instead of Dan Moore? And if, you know, um, some of these other rookies were playing more, you know, Joey Porter Jr. had replaced Levi Wall sooner and things like that. So um okay so good thoughts on the run game overall in general Jalen Warren uh you could just see again Najee was good in this game was fine like Jalen Warren is just better like it's not even a knock on Najee I think people take it as like oh that he just hating on the Najee pick I've always loved Najee as a player uh and as a person I disliked the pick strongly at the time the reason being that I think you can find guys like Jalen Warren in the draft and so I just don't think you need to spend a high value pick on a running back as a position that just obviously we've seen that uh, reaps very little benefit so I think most people would agree now at this point although I got killed when I first said it that that wasn't a very good pick but I will say now you're seeing like exactly Najee has been probably exactly what you hoped he would be coming out of the draft for the most part it's not like he was capable of more than he's doing now I don't think like this is who he is as a player um, but you're just seeing the difference it is with a running back that has speed and has burst like Jalen Warren and how much, I mean, that, that fourth, that was it fourth and short or third and short. I, I can't remember. Uh, I wrote that down third and short, third and one third with and the short. end around to Jalen. Yeah. The end around. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Najee just can't make that play. Like he just, it's not no. in his wheelhouse. Like he doesn't have that ability. So the burst to be able to get vertical through small spaces uh, and get to the second level without any hesitation, it's right there for Warren. I add to that, the fact that he is just, <laughs> an absolute pain in the butt to try and tackle. And the fact that he'll run people over, drop his pads. He's ultra physical. He's super aggressive. He makes read mistakes at time, like one a game, maybe like at times too. Like, it's not like he's perfect in that regard, but that that's not a major concern to me. Like, and yeah, we've talked about it. I think his reputation and pass protection probably precedes what you get most of the time on tape. He whiffed on at least one in this game. I didn't, I didn't check too thoroughly on his pass pro in this game, but um, overall, yeah, I, I, he's just the better player. Like, and he's a great receiver. Like, and you know, Najee certainly has his gifts in that regard too. One underrated play action I'll mention before we move off the backs is the another third and short. Uh, the Steelers got uh, Pickett out of the pocket, um, and Najee kind of released from the backfield on basically like an arrow route to the flat. And Alshier read it the whole way and was like right in his hip pocket. And Kenny really had nowhere to go with the football. And he's like kind of running out of time. And he just like ripped the thing at Najee, who was like three yards away from him. <laughs> it was like close yep. range. Like it was kind of like there was nothing, there was a lot on the ball. And Najee just like a quick reaction time definitely just caught this ball and Kenny did put it in actually a good location, but Shair was all over. I think Al Shair was just shocked that he even threw the ball. Like, I think he couldn't, like he just felt like he had taken that option away 
and Najee made this great catch for like a couple like three yards, but it was the first down. And I thought it was really underrated play in the game because he just like in that moment, a lot of guys would be like, Oh, you threw it like they're too surprised and they throw it that hard from close range and they can't catch it. Najee just like snagged the thing out of the air. Then the next play is wide open in the flat by himself and Pickett lobs it out there and he drops it. <laughs> so you just don't get sure. quite the same yeah. you get with Warren. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Yeah, the end round I was going to mention too. I mean, obviously that's a special play. Three tight ends. It was you know big uh, personnel package and all that. And you know Warren wasn't in the backfield, but I, I don't. I do wonder why. Like, have they run a twenty-one personnel snap? Like a true twenty-one personnel? Like they just don't really do it. I, I don't know. It. I'll look. Yeah, like I they, they have they just have such. Done it. They have okay. Maybe yeah, they have done it. I just don't know the percentage of time. Let's see. Um. They are 21st in the NFL and 21 personnel percentage. They are at 1% of their snaps. Yeah. Like that's just They're not very much. Yeah. They don't need to be like, you know, and obviously the teams with fullbacks and stuff are going to lead those lists, which, you know, I don't know. I won't be mean. Uh, you know, like th- that, that should be higher. That should be three, 5%. Like it just, they have completely different skill sets. They do different things. They both mm-hmm. can pass protect, even if, you know, we agree Warren's good, not great. But, like, they're, they're just – I don't think is a massive glaring deficiency of doing it at times. Uh, but I also was chuckling. I was like – and the defense did read the, the – they knew it was coming. And uh, the the right edge, like, completely ignored, like, you know, like, didn't even consider, like, you know, getting upfield. He just – or, you know, sorry, attacking the quarterback. He just immediately got upfield and tried to tackle Warren, but he just was too fast and got past him. And then also, you know, Pickens, obviously, it was not a great outing, and he's – you know, posting free me on Instagram, but he did have an exceptional block yeah. uh, on that, on that Warren end around. Uh, he lit yeah. up whoever, whoever that was out there. I, my, was that Molden too? Molden had a tough Yeah, game. I think it, I think it was Elijah Molden. Yeah. <laughs> he got pancaked by a lineman, ran over by Warren. I think slapped by Pickens there. Uh, all right, let's move to the receiver room. Um, Deontay Johnson, really good game. Just after the catch, he was cl- he was clean. He was good stuff. Like he made guys miss early in the game. They got him the ball and manufactured touches. I'm sure Pickens wished some of those targets were his. And they, they tried to in the second half. And you know, Kenny threw the ball wide. But yeah, seven catches in this game for Deontay Johnson, 90 yards. Again, the A dot was down, so you know he's only averaged 13 yards a catch. But you know, he finally scores and he breaks through in that way. He's, he's just a better route runner than Pickens is. But I, I still think Pickens has more talent, and they absolutely it's ridiculous that they haven't found more ways to get in the football. Obviously, some of that is Kenny missing throws. They had him, you know, the crosser. You know, that's absolutely a huge gain for him. Like the the smoke that I said, like they they threw it out there. It's it's too hot. It's too high for Pickens that he he catches it, but it you know, like I said, it's for a loss of a yard, and he's like losing his balance because of where the ball's located. Um, the touchdown where Pickens didn't get his feet down. I do think he should have gotten his feet down. I want to be very clear about that. I also don't think like everybody was like, it's an unbelievable dime. And I thought it was a good throw. Like certainly he's catch able to be caught, but there was a lot of space there, a lot of separation. And all you have to do is put it on his frame. And like, he definitely led him out of bounds with the throw more than he needed to. Like he, it should have been caught, should have got his feet down. It also should have been a better throw. So, I mean, yeah, you want to probably put more blame on Pickens there for not scoring on it, but. I just thought a better throw from Kenny and we're not even having the conversation. So that was my take on it anyway. Like I, I didn't think that was 100% on Pickens either way. This was clearly like 
you know, Pickens posting the stuff on Instagram. I don't know. We we don't really talk about that kind of stuff too much on this show, like measuring the level of drama and how it will affect yeah, no. things. <laughs> it is just continues to be hilarious to me. Like the Steelers type at wide receiver continues to be so funny to me. Like obviously the AV stuff over the years and like all the stuff with him and social media at the end. But also like the Martavis Bryant hating on Juju Smith Schuster on social media, like and then Juju Smith Schuster and his constant remarks on social media, or like the, you know, the off the field stuff that he's engaged in on there, which is obviously way less problematic. But people still like just and now you have George Pickens on social media. <laughs> it's just yeah. like very funny that these guys cannot get it right when it comes to assessing character, but they get it so right. When it comes to assessing talent, they just have like a, a very wide range of, yeah, a, a, a certain type for sure, but a wide range of what they have. Like obviously Juju is not the same as like some of these other guys, but like it is just very funny that they cannot draft like a normally composed human being <laughs> when it comes to this stuff. At least Juju makes a ton of money off of his uh, what he does. You got to give him props for that, for his oh, yeah. and all that. I think he makes probably makes more doing that than football at this point in his career. But well, yeah, no, there was also... <laughs> He's not, not really playing was, football, so we... <laughs> well, yeah, fair. Uh, there was a uh, yeah, him over Jacoby in, in New England. What are you doing? Oh. But uh, yeah, there was a I think it was the first half. There was like a corner route or even just an out that Pickens ran, and he it was a bad ball. He probably could have had a I don't know eight yard gain, whatever. I don't think it would have gotten the first down anyway. But still, he runs off the sideline. He's clearly pissed off, and, and like coach immediately like kind of like not in a bad way, kind of grabs him, trying to like motivate him and keep him positive. But it was just like right from the get go, like they. You know, there were a couple inaccuracies and, and bad throws to him. But, yeah, I saw the, the the touchdown or could have been touched on the same way. He for sure should have been able to drag his toe and stay in. Mm-hmm. But it also – he had, you know, a couple yards of separation, a couple steps of separation, whatever. And if the ball was just like, a you know, he saw it the same way there. But, yeah, Deontay, I mean, the, the one early on in the first half where it was like probably second and ten and he juked inside and, and just shook whoever that was and picked up like eight yards instead of two, um, I think it's it was why they were able to score on this cryptic drive. Like it was an underrated play where he doesn't do that. I don't think they're able to go, go down. And maybe that wasn't the first drive. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, he's just he, – he was good. He could have had, again, more production with some better better throws. But, I mean, his ability to create separation. And then in this game, the the, the yak was there and the making guys miss was there in a very strong positive. Um, and the last thing I want to say, because I, I did say I didn't love what I saw from a route combination standpoint from, from Canada in this game. But the the touchdown, which, hey, I yeah, I predicted twice in a row. So there's kind of an asterisk to it. But I still did predict uh, he would break the streak. The, That's true. The, yeah, so the play before the touchdown where A-Rob draws the flag, they have, you know, the pick concept, and A-Rob just gets pulled down, basically just gets tackled, um, and, and and Johnson's, you know, coming on the slant. I did think it was pretty – the defense thought they were running the exact same play, which maybe is – that's maybe Canada setting up, you know, establishing that, and obviously he fakes inside and then runs a corner, uh, and it has an easy, easy touchdown. I just thought it was a nice, a nice wrinkle there. Just, all right, we're going to make them think they're doing the exact same thing – they were aligned the exact same way in a bunch with, you know, Deontay outside of Allen. It was the exact same initial setup, and then he, he went back outside. So that yeah. I thought that was, you know, a, a nice little play there. It's so funny that, like, Canada's like, all right, we got to find a way to score in the red zone. After three years, he's finally like, oh, we could stack our receivers. Like, we yeah. can put them in a bunch and use rubs to create separation. People do that, like, for years. Uh, hey, look, he's he's getting it out, whatever. Um, 
So yeah, I I thought overall there were definitely more positives than negatives with the offense. The one thing that we haven't talked about, just still no wide receiver three production. Um, could add Austin probably late. The pressure did influence the throw. Could add Austin deep down the field. Um, didn't get that one to him. Um, Allen Robinson had well, the first first down of the game uh, on a pass. He was wide open, run across the middle of the field. Um, so that was good to see. Uh, but overall, yeah, you're just not getting any type of threat. So another reason why I'd love to use Firemuth in those ways. And another reason why I'd be open to more 21 personnel, like see what all Jalen Warren can give you. Let's, you know, let's put Najee out there too. Like let's <laughs> might as well try some different things. You just don't have a wide receiver three right now. So getting somebody like that involved would be great. Yeah. Pickens two catches on for, was it two catches for negative one yard? Negative one. Yeah. Game? Oh my gosh. And five targets uh yeah that is just ridiculous that can't happen so i continue to be befuddled by that but like i said a lot of that's on the quarterback he's got a 60 yard game probably if if kenny's and a touchdown if kenny's a little bit better i think um and if he's a little better too um uh, any other offensive takes no i that was that was all i had on offense oh play action 23 percent, 23 plus percent one of their highest marks of the season seven dropbacks i think so I uh, kind of said going into the game, I think that it would be like beneficial. You could see the difference in this game and help give Kenny pretty big pockets. And let me check real quick. I wanted to see on this play action. Yeah, six of seven. It didn't throw from any very many yards off play action. Uh, so yeah. I have to go back and check some of those concepts. Um, he was graded very positively on those, but uh, didn't. Yeah, I remember. So I was watching those splits. I think it was just like about thirty yards, right? Am yeah, I thirty yards. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a lot of underneath stuff, but it was it got guys open. It worked. Yeah. It was it was effective. So I think it was almost all play action, booted them outside the pocket and throwing the flat for you know gain of five or six, like drive starter type of stuff. Not yeah. how I would utilize play action uh as heavily as they did. I, I would do that, but I was as heavily as they did in this game. Um, there's a lot more they can do off of it. So it was kind of good to see in some regards because they got it in the bag, they're working on some things, but it wasn't they don't really attack the middle of the field off play action, which I don't know if they look at other teams around the league, but it would be a pretty good idea, especially since you don't really throw to the middle of the field right now. But uh, the opponent you just played, who who does that better than anyone? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Bars of that stuff. Um, okay, uh, let's switch to the defense side of the ball. Probably not as much to say on them, um, so we don't have to do go too long here. I wouldn't say really pretty predictable performance i would say pass rush dominated you know we talk about i smith and watt all day um they were great watt moved around a little bit six snaps off the ball like lined up kind of over the interior uh one on the right side um i'm gonna watch those snaps a little more thoroughly haven't done that yet on the defensive side but it seemed like they didn't really have a great way of how they were using it. Like they were definitely still feeling it out in terms of like timing. Like if he's allowed to be lined up inside, like are you running a game? And if you're running a game, like who's going first, who's going second? Like to make that seamless and sped up, it seemed like they still had some, some ways to go. He got in clean on one or two of those though. And so uh, definitely worth experimenting with. Um, Watt is not really a power rusher, so that does limit you as a pure inside rusher. So you almost have to find ways conceptually to get him uh, loose, I feel like, to get him involved in that regard, to get him um, free opportunities at the quarterback. But the D-line, I thought, dominated as they should in this matchup. Yep, no, I agree. I think we had him with pressure on 26 of 46 dropbacks or something like that, 26 of 45, like 58%, which is That's pretty very good. good. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's good. I mean, and he, yeah, obviously the Tennessee Titans offensive line was an absolute train wreck, you know, yeah. just because they're bad, but also injuries, uh, you know, throughout the entire game. But yeah, I mean, look, you know where I was going with this. Uh, I thought there were two exceptional Keanu Benton reps, my weekly Keanu Benton update. Yeah. Um, first, yeah, 11 minutes to go in the second quarter. Uh, he outside swats and just swims Skaronsky. And it was just interesting. He took one kind of jump step inside and then just propelled himself with with swatting the outside shoulder um, and just swimming past him. Didn't get the sack, but it altered the throw, got a pressure. Um, and then there was another one later on, too, where he, like, I don't know if I would call it a hezzy or, like, whatever they – I'm blanking now what they used to call on linebackers, but, like, like, what's it called? Like a – you know what I'm talking about where a linebacker, like, fakes he's going back and then – Oh, and coffee then, house like, stunt. Coffee house, yeah. yeah. Was, uh, yeah anyway, yeah. he, like – It's very weird that. name, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a, it is a weird name, but – like he, he didn't do that. And like, I guess you call it a hezzy. Like, he, and he split a double team up the middle between the yeah. center and the right guard with like a hezzy. And then he got a pressure, actually completed like a deep pass on that one. But, but he hit like he was hitting Levis as he was throwing. But yeah, both just awesome, you know, awesome reps. Uh, and then like outside of that, I don't think anyone particular, I think it was just kind of they were, they were get, getting pressure. Alex Heisman, I thought was the best player in this game. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe of all players on either side of the ball. Like he was, consistently in the backfield great against the run um a couple a couple derrick henry carries and tajay spears carries where like he contained the edge and if he didn't i think they would have broken off a decent little chunk um he yeah i mean he was awesome yeah highsmith was phenomenal and you expect him to be in this match 10 pressures you'll add him with uh wall yes. with seven um they were really, really good in this game, no doubt. I thought, did think at the end of the game, like Watt especially, he even said on the post game show, he was like, I was just completely gassed on the last drive of the game. Like, that is something you have to watch. And I noted this, I don't remember, it was on, oh, I was on a Lions show the other day and we talked about the Lions Raiders matchup. And I was talking about Max Crosby, who plays like almost every single snap. Um, and how like the Raiders would actually benefit from playing him less because he's just so clearly exhausted late in games, I feel like, when you watch him. And I think Watt, I, like you, you can get Herbig on the field in those situations. I know you want to have Watt out there for a final drive, obviously, but if he can't go, you've got to be able to see that as a staff and get Herbig on the field for a snap, give Watt like one play off and then get him back out there. I know it's hard when the other team's going fast. Um, you don't want to take that chance to not, of not having him on the field for a key play. But I thought that was a big part of this too, was just the fact that although I think Herbig, what he played seven snaps in this game, I want to say, like it wasn't very, very few. Much. I think Golden was probably yeah. ahead of him. That I can remember. And yeah, four pass rushes and he had a pressure in those pass rushes. Like well, he of course he did. Yeah, like he's perfect. just like he's the kind of guy that you that juice late in games, you can have yes. that on the field. You don't need to have Watt out Fresh there. Fresh legs. Yeah, yeah, every single snap. I think it'd be even if you yeah, wanted to start a drive, like whatever you wanted to do to like make sure he's on the yeah, field. Right, like, right. He has that juice. You need him on the field. Also, in those pass obvious situations, get three edge rushers on the field. Like Line up if it's going to be golden on the inside, like line up golden on the inside. Like Cam Hayward's obviously like still snap limited. Now you can get Hayward and Benton out there, certainly, but like that final drive for Tennessee where you know they're not going to run the football, like use your guys to your advantage. Like line up High Smith inside, line up Herbig on the outside, run a game with those guys. The Steelers have to find they are like one of the best defensive lines in the league, and they're obviously up there in terms of pressures too, but they. Aren't they are a little bit further behind schematically, like some of the top D lines in terms of how they deploy their guys? Like the Jets don't have some of the killers that the I mean, they have really good players, like in, in high floor, but like Quinn Williams is probably their best front player. And they don't really have like Bryce Hoff is their best edge rusher, probably. And he's like a very good player, but he's not even a full-time player. 
the Steelers have like a guy I think that be, could be comparable to Huff in a year or two in Herbig, and then they have Watt and Heisman. Like, so they have better personnel, I think, than a lot of these D lines, but they're not as good at figuring out how to use those guys. They're, they don't run as many games or twists up front. They don't do quite as much of that kind of stuff. The disguises, who's coming, who's going. We're bringing guys from all different places. That would put them over the top as a D line group. Instead, at the end, it's a lot of static four man rushes at the end, which I get. But again, you, but you have to, I think, find ways to um, get to the quarterback a little more creatively when your guys are out of juice. How can you create advantages for them with the scheme? And it did seem like I give Tennessee's offensive line a lot of credit because all the injuries that they had, the last drive of the game, I thought they stepped up and did a pretty good job in terms of protection. Like, yeah, the Steelers guys were gassed for sure. That was a part of it. But um, overall throughout the game, it was like the biggest thing in Pittsburgh's favor was that they just dominate up front. And there was nothing Tennessee could really do about that. Great point on the, the mixing the personnel. Obviously, you know, Jets are a 4-3 defensive end team. We're talking about outside linebackers. But, like, the Jets NASCAR package, which, you know, when they kick John Franklin Myers inside and they have, like, Jermaine Johnson and Bryce Huff uh, and then obviously still Quinn and out there, has been their most effective and productive pass rush unit. Like, you know, they have good, other good guys. Quentin Jefferson's a solid interior rusher. Like, they have other guys that can do it throughout the game. But, I mean, across the league, like, that is, you know, when you, when you – uh, um, when you can get a bigger end on the inside and just cause a mismatch, just have too much speed and get on a guard's toes too quickly. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's another, you know, adjustment, just like, you know, moving TJ water around, you have to do it all the time. A couple, a couple times a game, it'll probably, you know, wreak some havoc and cause some chaos. So they, they sh- I would lean towards Highsmith, I suppose. Cause you know, TJ doesn't, TJ doesn't want to move a lot. I don't know. He's not the biggest guy, but I feel like he could do it. I think you could. Yeah. Neither of those guys are like, yeah, pure power rushers. I would say Highsmith's probably more of that, but also like, yeah, you could just your lateral movement with both of them. Like if you train them at it, I think they can continue to get on guys edges and create disruption that way. So I'd be fine with anybody you lined up inside. Like I think you're going to beat most guards. So, but getting three edge rushers on the field in those situations, I think would be pretty important. They need to do a better job of figuring out those situations and just not being like, hey, I hope our all pro players are all pro. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, it could happen, but you can also yeah. create advantages and other coaches do. Um, so that would be uh, one plus that I would say with them. Hayward looked good in his return. I felt like uh, I don't think he was as effective as a pass rusher as we're used to seeing just yet. Um, but as a run defender, it made a huge difference, I felt like, for them. Um, I think he only had one pressure in this game. As a run defender, though, there's some really strong reps in there. Uh, I thought on tape that he played well. You mentioned Benton was awesome. Um, Monty Adams got hurt in this game, so we'll kind of see what that was. He only played two snaps, um, so they had to play the rest of the way without him as a de- on the defensive line. And uh, that meant that actually for this game at least, um, their defensive tackle leader in snaps was Ogan Joby once again with 50. Um, I continue to think that role isn't quite best for him, but he was effective as a rusher. I felt like in this game, Benton was at 48 though. So continue to see things go 18 or 19, a couple weeks ago, 30 and now 48. So we are getting there with Keanu Benton and then Hayward played 41. So I think you're going to see those three be the guys, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Benton plays more nose now with Hayward back. Um, but those three guys got to be on the field probably the most, especially with how valuable pass rush is. Um, so overall, yeah, I thought it was a good game. Defensive line, uh, showed out linebackers were solid. The Holcomb injury sucks. Um, really unfortunate. Uh, and yeah, you know, you don't want to blame guys too much, but again, Keanu Neal just like is just not an NFL athlete anymore at the position that he plays. And again, just coming in for tackle, being out of control 
and obviously like missing kind of the t- I think the, the receiver may have or Hopkins may have fallen down after that but like uh he's just trying to make a play and it sucks but like again like guys just can't like in space you saw so many times in the first half of this game guys like missing tackles and they couldn't break down in space. They couldn't like accelerate again when a runner accelerated and match them. They finished the game with 14 missed tackles. There were way less in the second half. Um, but in the first half, it was just amazing how many times guys were missing, um, how many times guys were uh, whiffing an open space or couldn't. I don't even know if you count as a missed tackle. Sometimes they just couldn't break down and even commit to a tackle attempt uh, because they were in uh, just the angle and everything like that. You're seeing like how unathletic the defense is, I think, as a whole. And Holcomb is probably one of the better athletes. And now it's going to be less athletic than it was even. And so probably already the slowest secondary in the league. No Minka, no Holcomb now. Joey Porter Jr. is obviously a really good athlete. Outside of him, it's really tough. Quan was in his prime, and he made a great play. I think it's being slept on how great his interception was. That was an awesome play. Like he really he got to get that kind of depth in your zone and then to get up for a ball like that. That was a really great coverage play by Quan. He played a very good game, I felt like. He did. Yeah, it, it was four verts, but still to carry carry it and have that good of depth and make that play, I, I agree, was very impressive. Um Pat Pete was willing to tackle and was was uh, made a couple, I think a couple tackle for losses or you know, defensive stops, which is always good to see. Hasn't been his yeah. MO at all times, but he was, I think, more. He, he jumped in and run support a couple of plays. Yeah. I was, I will give him credit for that. He was as bad as he typically is in coverage, but he in run support, he did jump in a few times and make some plays. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And then, yeah, the, the Cam Hayward thing, yeah, it didn't pop as a pass rusher, but he had that, that run tackle for loss, like probably the first Titan series uh, of the game. And it was like, I was fired up about it. But yeah, the, the linebacker thing is interesting, man. I mean, losing Holcomb's is, is a big deal. It's not ideal, but. Well, we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a move. You can always find cheap veterans at that spot. But yeah, overall, it was a d- decent performance. The coverage, you know, we'll we'll see. We, they need to make a back, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad in coverage that I don't even know where to begin. I'm probably just going to talk about Joey Porter Jr. because I've already talked about everybody else's bat. I will say Levi Wallace actually, like, he was not in that much and didn't wasn't targeted that much. And I actually am a little surprised on the fourth down he didn't get flagged. But looking at the replay, it was uh, – it could have gone either way, I feel like. Like, it wasn't perfect, but, it, like, I, I'm not going to, like, rip him for it. Um, if he would have gotten flagged, we would be tearing him apart. But, <laughs> but I do think, like, he played – I felt like my standards, like definitely like the best game of his season. I know he had the two interceptions in the other game, but he was all the Cleveland game, but he was terrible for most of that game. Um, so yeah, maybe it's a better role for him coming off the bench or maybe just, you know, a small sample size theater. He got uh, that advantage, but yeah, Joey Porter jr. In this game, being able to follow guys around um, sticking with Hopkins as much as he did. What a mixed bag game because he had the penalties, which are notable yeah. Yeah. Uh, and need to be cleaned up. But Again, we talked about this last week. I think you don't really project forward thinking like you got to factor in four penalties for a guy that's playing in like his ninth game. Like you don't really think about that. Like you're just thinking about the fact that like this is a guy that can like these things aren't going to fall in his whole career. And technically, yeah, he is grabby and he does need to improve yeah. in some of those things. But the fluidity and athleticism at his size to be able to match guys in man coverage has potential special upside, you know, do I think it's always going to look like it did this game and be this good against all types of receivers? Probably not Hopkins, especially at this point in Hopkins careers is a good fit for Porter uh, and what he likes to do uh, defensively. Um, I just think the mentality to take on those challenges, like that's something Steelers haven't had in their secondary for a long time Um, to have a guy like that. that can take guys on a man coverage. We'll see how it sustains over larger sample size, but the coverage wise, yeah, to, 
to make the breakups that he did to be just in the hip pocket. Like he's creating no throwing windows. A lot of the time in coverage, I would, I'm way more excited about the good than I was worried about the bad. There was bad in this game, but I'm way more excited about the good than I am worried about the bad. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Obviously the penalties and that is, that goes back to Penn state too, but also one of the four was, I'm it was either a run or a screen pass. That wasn't his responsibility. It was on the edge when he grabbed the guy's face mask on the tackle. I don't even think he realized he did it until like the flag came out. So like, that's not, you can't be like, oh, you know, it's Joey Porter being too grabby and press. Like, no, you made a tackle and you just, you know, you don't want to face mask opponents either. But it wasn't something you're, you know, you're going to say that's that's a problem with his ability to cover. So, yeah, I tweeted it out. I think you, I think you saw it and retweeted it. But thirty snaps against D Hop, um, which I'm sure is over over fifty percent um, of his actual routes run. He allowed um, allowed him to be charted as open on four of those thirty and was in tight coverage on six of the thirty. A lot of it is usually just like, you know, the the play happened yeah. too quickly to a different player that it didn't really, we're not going to like chart it as like some particular thing. Yeah. It just kind of is like the both guys let up. I think it's how it gets kind of categorized. Right. But yeah, one catch uh, out of five targets. He had two pass breakups of, of those five targets and it was one reception for 17 yards. Hopkins did get him pretty good on that, on that one, but yeah, mm-hmm. that was it. It was, it was really impressive. Um, it was he continues to move in the right direction. It's crazy that he couldn't do any of this until last week and that he was just incapable. Six days ago, he just suddenly became capable of being exponentially better than Levi Walls. It's a wild development, but you got <laughs> you think Levi went into the office in uh like week uh week two and was like, I want Devontae. What do you think? What do you think Mike would have said to him? <laughs> he would have said, Kick rocks, buddy. <laughs> Levi Walls is my guy. Oh man, it's it's too funny. Um, but hopefully they are learning from some of these mistakes. Yeah, right. Um, and playing these rookies more, but like, yeah, seeing Broderick and Porter and Benton and their impact in this game, and even Washington, as I mentioned, I'm maybe forgetting a rookie, I don't remember. Um, but bigger yeah, guy, but yeah, Herbert didn't do that much in this game, but um yeah. seeing the impact that they've had now for the last two weeks, really, even as as poorly as they played kind of overall against Jacksonville, like for the last two weeks, like to see that like um very 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 encouraging for sure um so i guess it's going to be kwan and uh landon roberts the rest of the way landon roberts was probably uh, was awesome in run defense once again you know we as a rusher he continues to be effective like um he he is just a good football player i think that signing was awesome you have to understand like you're never going to get like the complete player what they paid for landon roberts but like he just fits he's a thumper he reminds me of vince williams like it's so funny how similar they are like his players like and i loved Vince Williams despite his limitations and coverage very similar players and so um I'll be happy like I like one uh there's gonna be good and bad like he's I uh, think he missed three tackles in this game he's pretty much missed ta- he's probably like the is he the he might be like in the duration of his career I wonder if anybody's missed more tackles than Quan Alexander <laughs> just because probably he does there. tend to play a little, little out of control he's definitely up there I feel like um but I would say that Overall, like I do feel like that Quan Alexander pickup, I think was just a huge signing. Like that was late in the process. That was during camp. And um, to have him now as a starter is going to be huge. And then you'll see like uh, Mark Robinson's played well uh, in the past when he's been able to play, Uh, but he's going to be asked to step in. They uh, got Michael Walker from the Falcons on their practice squad. I bet he'll be start to be active. Michael Walker is basically a covered specialist linebacker for people who haven't watched him before. Um, I'm, I was intrigued by that before Holcomb now having to play a Landon and Robinson more, I'm pretty intrigued. I think we'll see a lot of four linebacker things once they feel like Walker's up to speed. Um, 
am I forgetting a linebacker? Let me check real quick because uh, I'm sure some some special. Team I was guys. I was gonna mention Walker, so I don't think so off the top of my head. Okay, maybe maybe that is it. Yeah, that is it. They only have they have four actives typically, so Walker should be yeah. the guy. I would imagine coming up now. Tree Carpenter is also in the practice squad. I'm not familiar with him. Um, so He's yeah, I would imagine guy. Walker anyway, will be up. Sorry. Oh, Chappelle Russell was on injured reserve too. I don't remember what his injury was. He he was he was actually getting better in Pittsburgh. I mean, he's been a couple different places now. He started in Tampa, so I actually covered him early in his career. Now, he's not very good, but he did play better in preseason. Uh so yeah, I um we'll see what happens at linebacker. That will be uh one to watch for sure. Anything else in the defense? I'm not gonna talk about KZ and Keanu Neal because I just I don't want to talk about him. <laughs> I, I was gonna well Neil, yeah, I was gonna make fun of KZ and I realized like, you know what, give it to him. He uh they were down like 16-13 and he made a tackle, an open field one-on-one tackle <laughs> tackle on Derrick Henry, but it was like oh, a 10-yard yeah. gain. It was like a 10-yard gain for a first down and he celebrated, and I was gonna make fun of him, but I was like, you know what? If I tackled Derrick Henry one-on-one in space, I don't yeah. care if it was a 50-yard gain. I probably I probably would have still celebrated. So I was like, you know what? I, but yeah, I do. That's that's my only thought on that. Yeah, no, it was, it was a nice um, <laughs> The Darius Rush snaps were interesting. That was a good play by KZ, by the way. Also, oh, before I forget, before we get to Rush and wrap things up, but uh Pet Peterson, the tackle, the the best tackle that he made in the game was the third to the third down Tennessee ran on that nobody was expecting at the end. It was mm-hmm. like they're running the ball like they're down there's four minutes left they're down and they're running the ball in like third and five and they didn't get it obviously and they went for it on fourth to the deep shot that levi wallace defended against hopkins but peterson comes down and makes like i would have thought like in that situation you're not really thinking run and he saw something clearly that you know indicated him that they were going to run the football and he just kind of fired down in there he wasn't the only guy in on the tackle um i forget who else was in there but made a great play and the funniest thing about peterson was like he also got two illegal contact calls in this game and it was like the most obvious illegal contact it can get. Basically, he like bear hugged the guy off line of scrimmage both times. And I was just like, I, I remember one of them that was like <laughs> egregious. Yeah. I was just yeah. like, I don't know. Like, how old are you? Like, like yeah. that's the kind of stuff with Pete all season that I've just been like, have you played before? Like, I don't like, I don't understand. Like, you're one of the most experienced dudes in the NFL. Like, I don't understand how you're making these mistakes. It's just crazy to me. Like, that's not even like a you're just cooked, Aaron. That's like a what are you right, doing? Right. Yeah, is your no, head I remember one game? of them was like hilarious. Yeah, it was like, just, dude, you're literally giving this guy a bear hug, like you said. I just I don't understand it. It's it's very strange to me. Um, he is kind of yeah to be that inconsistent in your approach at this day. But he did make that big tackle, so I want to mention that the Darius Rush thing. Everybody's excited about Darius Rush. He's activated uh, to play in this game. He plays 30 snaps. 29 of these are in coverage, so he's in an obvious passing downs in situations in this game. He had the dropped interception at the end on one of his five snaps at free safety. He played 18 snaps in the slot. He blew a coverage late in the game or in the late in the first half, yep, I believe. Yep, yep, yep. Um, we'll just have to see. Like, I don't know. We know for sure what he is yet, but it's intriguing. I'd say like you get an athlete, he's a he's an athlete. Like it, maybe it turns into something. We'll see. I guess he's going to probably play with mink out uh, that they'll be, he'll be a bigger part of the equation. So, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to try just about anything in the secondary. <laughs> It's interesting. I thought he was super talented at South Carolina. Um, I mean, I thought Cam Smith, I know some people like, I don't know, I thought Cam Smith made more sense also as inside-outside versatility. But anyway, Rush was definitely interesting. It was weird and a red flag. I mean, the Colts literally have like UDFAs and seventh-rounders outside of Juju Brents, who's already playing some good ball. But like, 
for him to be cut off that roster is probably the biggest red flag cut of any roster he could be cut from because the Colts just do not have talent at outside corner. But yeah, like the, the physical guests are there. Like he, I think he tested off the charts too. So super intriguing. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to monitor. I mean, I maybe I think he will play. <laughs> you know, he kind of has to at this point. Yeah. That seems like a good place to wrap it. Next week, we will be back at some point. We're going to be a little more sporadic next week. I'll be traveling for my full-time job all of next week. And so we're going to have to find pockets of time to record and get you some content on this kind of long week off. We want to make sure we got you the gamer uh, before the, the weekend really got underway. So you can listen to this as you're doing your work around your house, winterizing and getting ready uh, for you East Coasters, uh, uh, nor- you Northerners, I should say. Um, and uh, yeah, so you can check that out and listen to that um uh throughout the weekend and then early next week as well we want to make sure we got you all that so as always leave us reviews and ratings we love those we appreciate those greatly share with friends and family and people that you think would be interested in this podcast y'all are how we grow and we greatly appreciate that we will talk to y'all next week on the yin snowball podcast it's happening daily we're being conned by the institutions we used to trust The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com